we're going to wrap this series up this morning. Next week, we're going to have a, um, just a random talk, so a standalone. And then the next week, which is October the 1st, look at somebody around you and say, October the 1st. All right, October the 1st, we are going to introduce to you why we are going to be doing what we are going to be doing over the next two years. So October the 1st, we are going to talk about why we're doing it. On October the 8th, we're going to talk specifically about what we're going to be doing. And then on the 15th, we're going to talk about how we are going to do this. Now, I want to be fully transparent. When we come in and we talk about all of this in the middle of this conversation, there is going to be a ask. That means that I am going to ask us to give more than we have been doing. And keep in mind, I understand what that means. Um, we are an extremely generous church. You already give an enormous amount. I received a text a few weeks ago from one of our missionaries in India. He said he has an opportunity to build a church, but it's $10,000 and it's got to happen like right then. And we sent him a check right then for $10,000. Why? Because you give. Because you are generous. We as a church are able to do things all over the world. And yet there seems to be more that we will have the opportunity to do over the next two years, and it's going to take us doing more. So I just, you're going to be asked to do more. You are going to be asked to give beyond what we are already giving. But here's the thing. Uh, once you hear all about it, I actually think you're really going to want to. So October the 1st, October the 8th, October the 15th, I know nobody comes to church every week but half of you. <laughs> but the other half of you, go ahead and decide right now, you're going to come every week for that span of time. Look at me. <laughs> Deal? Deal? All right, I'm holding you to that. All right, you ready to get started? John chapter 11, verse 5. says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. 
Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now I'm going to stop reading right there, but I do want to just make sure everybody knows what happened after this moment. Jesus goes on to the place where Lazarus was. He asked to be taken to the tomb. They take him to the tomb where Lazarus had been buried for four days, and he said, remove the stone. And when they removed the stone, Jesus spoke into that tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come out. And when Jesus said those words, the man who was dead came alive, and he walked out of the tomb. I guess I just want everybody to know that when Jesus Christ arrives in the middle of your moment, and you need something that you do not have, that what he will do is speak life into your situation. That when there was death, he speaks life. Where there was confusion, he will speak wisdom. When there is a sick body, he will speak healing. That when God arrives, the situation changes. Where there was lack, there will be abundance. Why? Because the one who is more than enough showed up. We believe God to arrive because we want to see something change when he shows up. If you're saying, God, I need you, then what you are saying is, I don't have what I need, but you're my fullness, and so when you come, I will have it all. So we know this. This, this is why we look at the moments when God showed up. For this reason, the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. In the absence of his manifestation, then the works of the devil were just simply being promoted. They, they kept proliferating. There was a time when the presence of God was not in Jerusalem. And we see David dancing and leaping. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God that was in that box, was being brought into the city so that the blessing of God would be in the capital of his nation. When they finished giving all of the offerings, how did they know that God received them? Because he literally came like fire and he consumed the altar. On the day of Pentecost, how did they know that the Spirit of God had finally arrived as was prophesied? Because little cloven tongues of fire sat atop each one of them. When God shows up, it's obvious. Now, I really wanted to go into all of that and just sort of end this series from that place. But I couldn't get past the verses that we read. I never even made it to the moment when Jesus arrived. I, I never got there. And so I guess for us today, we're just gonna sit and we're gonna deal and wrestle with the moment before he arrives. Because I think that's the hardest part to wrestle with. Like when Jesus shows up, it's easy. When fire falls from heaven, it's easy. When healing comes, it's easy. When the miracle happens, it's easy. But there is a time that we have to deal with. And we see it in this text. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two days. Now, I don't know how you are in your house, but when there is a sense of urgency in my voice, I'm really not excited when everybody just stays seated on the couch or just sits in their rooms. I don't know how things work for you, but when Ab goes to the grocery, I don't go to the grocery. 
If I go to the grocery, I'm there four hours, five hours, I'm there forever. I, I don't know, there's too many choices. Which ketchup? This one, this one, this one, this size, this size, this size. You have to give me the brand, you have to give me the price, you have to give me the quantity, or I'm gonna be there a long time. I, I don't just walk in and make quick decisions. I like to think about, okay, well, I wonder what they would like here. And it takes, it takes me some time. So she does that. But when she comes, she doesn't load the groceries from the car into the kitchen. That's the rest of our responsibility. And I've noticed when she swings the door open and says, I need some help, it frustrates me when nobody just jumps up. Here, Lazarus is ill. Jesus loves Lazarus. Jesus loves Mary. Jesus loves Martha. These are people that he likes. I mean, he loves us all. But he really likes these people. He stays at their house all the time. Lazarus is ill. And he stays where he is for two more days. Have you ever been frustrated at the timing of God? So let's do this. Let, let's just sort of talk about God and his sense of timing for a minute. Psalm chapter 90 and verse 2, I think, gives us a perspective. It says that he is from everlasting to everlasting. Now, what that means is he exists outside of space and time. Space and time had a beginning. Everybody agrees, every discipline of science agrees that space, time, and matter all began at the same time. It had a, a beginning all right then. But something that was before the beginning of space and time actually brought it into being. What is that that existed before that which we know? It was God. God is from everlasting to everlasting. He's eternal, not just forward. See, you're eternal forward. He put spirit in you. John 4, 24 says God is spirit. That's what's eternal about us. God put spirit in you so that you could live forever with him. Like that was the purpose of why he put spirit in you. That's why you have a spirit and a soul so that you can live forever that way with him. But please understand you didn't live forever that way. He is from everlasting to everlasting, which means we have this sense of timing that is very different than his sense of timing. And when we are willing to grasp that, I think we're willing to more work with God because here's the thing, um, you're not gonna change him just because you're impatient. God's not gonna look down and say, oh, I'm just gonna go ahead and move for them because they're, they're just impatient. It, it doesn't work that way. It's never worked that way. It's not going to work that way. This is the thing about our faith. Faith does not speed up God. Faith stays committed to him in the process while we're waiting on him. That's what faith is. I don't have faith because I want to force him to move sooner. I have faith because I'm going to be faithful, believing him to move, and I'm going to be ready when he does. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. We're getting a timeline here that was necessary for God to redeem what we lost. 
I don't know how your mind works sometimes, but my mind works like this. God can do anything. Therefore, when Adam and Eve sinned, why didn't he just come give himself as a sacrifice right then and go ahead and fix the whole problem? Why did we have to go through all of this to get there? I'm the only one that's ever thought like that. (laughs) But let's look at what we see here. He said... When Adam and Eve sinned, he said to Eve, I, you, are going to have a child, and the child that you have will destroy, will crush the head of the one who deceived you. So from her would come the answer for mankind. So Jesus had to be born of woman to satisfy or fulfill the initial prophecy. But then we have this thing where he was born under the law. Why did he have to be born under the law? Because good and evil, the knowledge of it was introduced on the earth. The knowledge of good and evil had to be contained in what was called a law. But in order to have laws, you had to have a nation. So a people had to grow into a nation to be able to receive a law, would be under that law. And then Jesus would be sent to those people who were under the law so that he could redeem them from the law. Why? Because they were the ones that that went through it all to give us the roadmap to get to Jesus so that all of us out here could be adopted as sons. So he had to be born of woman. He had to be given to them first, those who were under the law. He had to redeem them who were under the law so he could adopt us as sons. That whole thing is the process of salvation that he spoke into existence the moment that there was judgment placed on the earth. He spoke it here and it had to happen Here, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. All of that had to happen. There was no getting Jesus there sooner. Now, here's the thing. We can kind of rip through that and say, yes, absolutely, amen. And yet when we look at our lives, we think our lives are different, that every little thing that we ask from God, that he just has to do it right then, right now, as if there's not a process to get us from where we are to the place where he wants us to be. But when we understand that God works in this system that he set up called time, then it forces us into a steadfastness that is required of us that when we ask him for something or we become aware of a promise, that it takes time to get there. And when we are willing to receive that, I think we could save ourselves a lot of frustration in our relationship with God. Because I don't know about you, but probably the number one thing that I, I really have to watch myself between my, in my relationship with me and Jesus is he just doesn't move as fast as I want him to. It's not that he doesn't move. I mean, here's the thing. When he finally moves, I kind of feel bad for my bad attitude. I sit there and I think, wow, that makes perfect sense. But when I was here, this made no sense. And why is he waiting? And why is this taking so long? And what is going on? But when I recognize that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, then I'm willing to move with him that when the fullness of time comes in my life, he moves. When the fullness of time comes in my life, he moves again. When the fullness of time in my life comes, he moves again that as he speaks, there is a time, there is a process that I have to submit to. And that submission forces in me a trust, which we'll go ahead and use the word faith, 
And so great faith is somebody who keeps doing what they've been doing on the last day that they started on the first day. Like I, I know that when it seems like I see a promise in the word of God and I ask for that promise, I'm excited day one. But not this day. And not this day. And then I have to start getting into the other parts of the word that they who wait on the Lord, the ones who wait on him, shall renew their strength. So I know if my strength isn't being renewed, then I'm not waiting. I get asked that all the time. Well, how do I know if I'm waiting? Is your strength being renewed? If your strength is being renewed, you're waiting on him. You're waiting on him the way that he's called you to wait. If, you're, if your strength is not being renewed, if your life isn't full of worship, if, if your life isn't full of prayer, if your life isn't full of these spiritual disciplines that are bringing a refreshing to your soul in the waiting, then you're not waiting. You might be complaining. You might be hanging out with church people. You might even be in church. But are you waiting on him? So we are forced to have a relationship with time because this is the system that God has established. So let's push into this. I'm going to assume a couple of things. Well, actually, I'll just assume one thing. I'm going to assume that you've asked God for something and that the thing that you asked him for is actually his will for your life. And the reason why I'm going to assume that is to have any conversation about time, we have to believe that what we're actually waiting on that is actually going to happen. Because there are moments in my life that I've been waiting for God to do something that wasn't his will for me and it was never going to happen. So we have to make sure, is it, is it God's will for me? The Apostle Paul had the same kind of a struggle in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8. He said, I pleaded with the Lord three times to remove this from me. Three times I pleaded with him to remove this from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That was God saying no. See, the thing about faith is it requires grace first. Paul was asking for this. God said no to this and gave him this. When you are asking for something that God says isn't yours, he will tell you no. You may not want to hear it. You may not want to believe it. You may push back. We can't always handle the truth. But he's going to say yes or he's going to say no. I'm going to assume through the rest of this conversation that what we're talking about he said yes to. But I do want you to be aware he does say no. Jesus gave us the example. He said, I know that I'm going to be poured out as a sacrifice. He knew the cross was coming, but his prayer on the mount was simply this. God, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. So when we come to the awareness of what God is or God isn't going to do, we hang on to the strength to get through whatever, either awaiting for him to do it, or we hang on to the strength to get through what he's not going to do. And that requires what is called maturity in the life of the Christian. So I'm going to assume God said yes, but I feel like I've been very clear that he does say no, right? I don't want to be irresponsible with this. So God, we're, we're assuming he said yes on this, right? 
All right, let's move through. Okay, so what might we have to wait on? So now that he said yes, what, what's actually happening? Sometimes we just aren't ready for the very thing he wants us to have. It has nothing to do with timing, and it has everything to do with us. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2. Paul says, I fed you milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. Jesus told his disciples, there's a lot of stuff I want to tell you that you're not ready to hear, but the Spirit of God will tell you later when you're ready. There are moments we're just not ready for the blessing that we're asking for. There are times... We're not ready for the promotion that we're asking God for. We want him to promote us and he's going to promote us, but he's not gonna promote us until we're ready to succeed in that place. There might be skills that we need to learn. There might be attitudes we need to get rid of. There might be past trauma that we need to get healing from because we don't need to drag all of our last stuff into the next stuff. Like there are those moments where we have to be prepared for the next thing. That's why he says from glory to glory, we are being transformed. There is a transformation that needs needs to happen here so that I'm ready for the next step. There are Christians you can live and die and go to heaven right here, never taking one step higher. But here's the thing. Don't expect that prayer to be answered if you're not going to experience transformation here. We, we have to be ready. I've got a bunch of buddies that are all asking for spouses. They want, man, they want to get married. Great. Are you the person that they're praying for? Like, are you ready to be married? I mean, oh man, she would be perfect. But does she say that about you? Because marriage, marriage should not be like one person that's ready and the other person is getting dragged along. We, we need to be ready. We need to be satisfied in him. And then we're ready for them. But if I'm not complete in him, if I'm just marrying because I just need somebody to like help me get through this. No, 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 no. You don't need to marry your mom. You don't need to marry your dad. You are marrying a partner. You are heirs together of the grace of life. We need not an adult and a child get married. Are you ready for the thing you're asking for? Are you ready for that promotion? Are you gonna just walk in and start barking orders because now all of a sudden you're the boss? Do you have the humility it takes to lead people? Do you have the, the feeling of service, the commitment to serve? Jesus said you're not gonna be great unless first you serve. Do you see those people that are on your team as people that you are serving or just people to bark through and do your bidding? Like how do you see this? Are you ready for that promotion? Are you ready for that relationship? Are you ready for that blessing? Are you just going to tear through it and have nothing three weeks later? Let's just jump to the next one. That one, you get the point. Maybe you are ready, and maybe he's ready, but maybe there is opposition that you need to be willing to engage in the spiritual battle necessary to receive what God has already released for you. Now, here's one that we don't cover a whole lot on Sunday morning because it's not fully ever worked out. There's mystery in this, and some of you may be new to church, and I'm going to walk through something. You're like, I don't exactly know what that means. Let me just go ahead straight up. I don't exactly know what this means. Sometimes we just have to engage the mystery of grace in order to have the fullness of what God has for us. We just obey because he told us to, not because we understand it. Yeah. 
And so we have, I've seen this in, I've seen this in parenting probably more than anything, where you know God's will for your family, but you see, you feel the tension of the enemy working against you. And in that moment, you might think, oh, I just need to wait. And it's not a waiting that is um, like you would wait if it's not time yet. It's a different kind of waiting. It is a waiting that is engaged in a spiritual battle. See, the flesh, you are flesh. This building is flesh. It's bricks and sticks. This is real, the world that we live in. The world of the flesh is real. There is a spiritual world, realm, that is just as real. We don't see it, but we know it. We have moments where there's a battle that is going on in the spirit. It is a spiritual battle that we are called to engage in spiritually. What does that mean? That is by prayer and supplication in the spirit. Let your requests be known unto God. There is this engagement in the spirit to battle spiritually, to receive what God has already released that there are enemies in spiritual realms trying to keep you from getting it. Now here's the thing, that really twists my thinking because if God gave it to me, if he released it for me, why can't I just have it? Are you telling me that the devil can keep what God has from me from being received by me? And the answer is yes, unfortunately. How or why, I don't have the vocabulary to express. But we do have examples. Paul told us, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So he's saying there is an engagement, a wrestling in a spiritual realm with prayer, which is a spiritual thing. We see an example of what that looks like in the book of Daniel chapter 10. Now here's somebody who uh, God showed him literally the end of the world. Like he saw how it was gonna end. Daniel through prophecy actually predicted that from the moment that they would be told to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, that 483 years later to the day that the penalty for sin would be paid. And from the moment that the walls were commanded to be put back in Jerusalem, Jesus Christ died on a hill for our sins. Like that's Daniel. Just make sure we get it. Like I think he's, I mean, he's seen some stuff. He prays to God. God gave him a vision. He didn't know what the vision meant. He prays to God to receive revelation for the vision. That seems like a good thing to be asking for. If God shows you something, he's going to tell you what it means. But he doesn't know what it means. And so he's asking for the revelation. But nothing happens. And so then Daniel begins to fast and pray and mourn and he wears clothes so people know that he's praying and fasting and mourning so they don't bother him, but they just let him go through the spiritual process. And he prayed day one, and he went through all of that fasting. And then on day 21, an angel brings him the answer in a vision. Day one, he didn't receive it, but he asked for it. 
Day 21, he receives what he asked for. And when the angel came to him, he said, I just want you to know, I heard your prayer on the first day. And I received the answer and was bringing it to you. And I got hung up here with the prince of Persia, which was just a phrase that was used to describe Satan, the powers of darkness. I got hung up here by the prince of Persia. And so when I was here struggling with him, an angel named Michael came from heaven, took the battle over with Satan, and released me to go on and bring you the answer that I left with 21 days ago. That doesn't make sense to me. But I don't care. Because what I know is, if God hears me, then he answers me and I have those things that I have asked for. So if I ask and there's a waiting and I feel the tension of that wait and I see that there's a spiritual battle going on, there's just an awareness of it, then there is the requirement for me to engage in a spiritual battle and I have to engage in that at a height that I may not have actually asked for the request. I might have just said, God, bless me indeed but there are just days where there's the lack of the blessing and I see the blessing trying to get here but I just can't feel it yet so I engage in prayer that is a deeper prayer it's the prayer that Jesus said that's the one that isn't a corporate prayer that's the one that you go into your closet and you shut the door and God who sees you in secret will actually reward you openly it's a spiritual battle and if I'm willing to engage in that spiritual battle, then there is a reward that God has for me that will be released because I did the spiritual fighting and now the gift has been released and I receive it. So sometimes, sometimes you're not ready for it. Sometimes you have to fight for it. And there are other moments, it's just not time. It's just it's just not time yet. Um, a couple of years ago, we were engaged in, you know, there are seasons of parenting that are harder than other seasons. There are days, there are months, there are years that are just, they're just harder. I mean, you know, they're so beautiful and sweet here. I mean, they cry a little and they're a little messy, but overall, this is pretty amazing. Right? And then, you know, the toddler years, people complain, those, were, those are awesome years. They're all over the place. They yell, no, and you know, you gotta work through who's the alpha here, and you know, it's, <laughs> like, it's a lot of work, but it's awesome. But there are some seasons that just are, and we are engaged in one of those. And my wife was growing weary. There's, you know, I, I don't, I know it's 2023, we're not supposed to like moms, dads, boys, girls, different, but there's a big difference in moms and dads. And there seems to be something about carrying a child in your womb. And when you give birth to that child, there, I mean, it just seems like moms carry the weight of that differently than the dads do. And she was carrying the weight of the struggle much more than I was. And I said, look, dear, 
um, this is gonna, this is gonna be a hard year. She goes, I can't do another hard year. We have to have an answer today. <laughs> I said, I know, but I'm just telling you, it just seems like this is gonna be a tough year. And so we need strength. And she said, reluctantly, okay. And we did the spiritual battle that was necessary, but we also did the waiting. Because sometimes it just takes time. And we made it to the end of that season and the victory was beyond comprehension. Would I have wanted the answer sooner? Sure, but here's the thing, I never complained about the answer here. You'll, you'll never complain about the answer when the answer finally comes, but you might have to wait for it. And so I guess I'm just encouraging us to be willing to wait because when you go through the gospel, it's just waiting after waiting after waiting after waiting. We'd never make it out of Genesis. Take the, take the life of Abraham. Abraham, God came to Abraham at 75 years old. At 75, God shows up to Abraham and speaks a promise to him. Now, Pastor Reggie is going to be 75 in two days. Two days. It's pretty awesome. Um, you know, if you come to prayer life, you've seen him with his, with his tape measure, that stupid tape measure, and he's like, you know, here's your life, and there's like 80 years, and I'm down to here. Just not, utter nonsense. We all just put up with it. We just, yes, Pastor Reggie, and we laugh, and then we let him get back to what he's doing. We, we tolerate some things, right? <laughs> but Abraham was 75 before God spoke to him. I mean, just think about Pastor Reggie showing up at prayer life on Wednesday and saying, the Lord spoke to me yesterday. The Lord came to me at 75 and he opened my eyes to what I haven't seen. I mean, just, just imagine that. But then Abraham had to wait 25 more years. The promise was here, but he had to wait 25 years. Like, are we willing to wait to receive the promise? But here's, here's what I want to throw out there. 20, 75, he gets the promise. 100, he receives the promise. But back here somewhere, God appears to him in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13, and the Lord said to Abram, so he didn't call him Abraham yet. The Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. 400 years they would be afflicted in a place that wasn't their own. Now, why did it take 400 years? Who determined 400 years? Well, apparently God did. But we have to understand what that 400 years was. Like God said, I am going to make a nation out of you. Not a family, not a tribe, like a nation. It takes 400 years for 12 kids to turn into a nation. So it's just the amount of time that it took to go from 12 kids to a nation. And then God was going to deliver a nation out of darkness into the promised land. But you had to become a nation 
nation first. So there would be 400 years. But in order to become a nation under the prosperity of another nation, it seems like you would have to serve that nation. So there was the necessity of what would happen to them that would bring them to a place of deliverance. Nobody wants to deal with it. Nobody wants to go through it. But from 12 to thousands and hundreds of thousands takes time. It takes time. And are we ever willing to submit to the process of time? But then it came to the end of that moment, and then God says this, and or Stephen said it in preaching a message in Acts chapter 7, verse 23. He said, Moses was 40 when it came into his heart to go see his brothers, the children of Israel, for he supposed that they would understand that God was giving them salvation through him. But they did not. So apparently, it didn't have to take 400 years. It could have just taken 360 years, but they weren't ready for the promise. But what did God do with Moses? See, this is the part we have to really embrace because it's not wasted time. God took Moses and he left from where he was and he went down to Midian. And when he went down to Midian, he met his wife and he got married. He fell in love and he got married and he had kids and he had a great relationship with his father-in-law. And his father-in-law actually uh, influenced his leadership so that he could be a better leader to God's people. Like God isn't wasting your time while you're waiting on the promise to happen, but he's molding you. You who are the clay are being molded by the potter into the person that he desires you to be so that when the promise comes at the moment that he has appointed, you are who you need to be to step into that promise and experience the fullness of all that it means. But we have to submit to the process. Now I want to end with this. Um, Martha. It wasn't in our text. Jesus shows up at the tomb and Martha comes out to meet him in John chapter 11 and verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Let's not dog Martha anymore. We never dog Martha anymore. She's the one that got up to go meet Jesus while Mary hung out in the house. I know everybody, oh, Martha, she's busy and Mary's at the feet of Jesus. That's fine. That was one moment. One. Who's at the feet of Jesus now? Okay. Martha goes and she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I want to wrap this whole thing up with you having an understanding that you might have to wait a few days. You might have to wait a few years. You might have to do some spiritual battle. But if you will wait on the Lord, if you will trust Him in the process, that what you ask from Him, that God will do it. God will show up. He will command the stone to be rolled away and whatever is dead inside of you that has to come to life, Jesus will speak a word. And at that word, there will be life that will raise up within you in the name of Jesus.